I'm Christian Humes. And I'm John Paul Murphy. And you're listening to Watch World. And today we're talking about the series prequel to the Harry Potter saga. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter presents Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yes. Um, as well as at the end, after we talk, are we doing it after? We're going to then rank the movies? Yeah, let's do it after, because if people are going to get angry about our rankings, let's put it at the end of the episode before (laughs) they turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what's fun to me about the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them films is that they are made for the movies. They were not books being adapted, so the stories are able to have a lot more freedom surrounding them, and they pull some lore from the series that has been hinted at or talked about in the background, and they flesh that out. Um, you know, there are obviously, like, some concerns about the series. There's some concerns about, like, some changes that they make to the overall series as well, but ultimately, like, we're here to just discuss what we think about it. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie because, to me, it was Harry Potter meets Pokemon with adults instead of children and i was always very excited about that prospect because it meant hey you know those things you love about harry potter here's a totally fresh take on it yeah i would say this actually was probably one of the most enjoyable of like so far the wizarding world movies that i've watched i think because it's a movie it obviously has children in it but they're not the main characters so the i generally i just think the acting is (laughs) better in yeah. this movie um also there's like a lot said, of good acting in this a lot of great acting also like you know because they're not adapting this from a established book or other type of thing they can kind of really have a i think a good structure to the way the movie unfolds um where they still kind of keep it it is a mystery of sorts like they gotta it's like they have to solve the who done it or who is it but i think it's done in a way where people are not constantly comparing it to the book like a book and saying like oh they left out this this and this i think mystery is almost inherently a part of the world of the wizarding world partially because as an outsider looking into the magical universe everything always is a bit of a mystery to us there's always a bit of secrecy to how everything works you know we can never really be a part of that world and so i think by having the characters also feel like they're trying to piece things together and they're trying to understand what's happening in their world it helps us as the audience uh empathize with the characters in their universe because they also don't feel like they have everything completely under control yes i would agree with that and um uh i would say that with for me actually i think the i think the best thing they made with this um the decision with this movie actually is adding a muggle character and you kind of see a lot. Oh, you of, mean a nomad? A nomad, as they would call it in America. But like by in, like adding a nomad character and kind of introducing a lot of the elements of the story through that character's eyes, it helps. I think simplify. I think the world in a way and make it digestible. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. John, I gotta say, you're making me realize why when I just brought up the Nomad, you know, this movie takes place in America, which is also a fun, different change. We get to see a totally different part of the, like, physical world of the Wizarding World, which is great. And that means that there are going to be new, unique things that were not available in the previous films. Also, with this being a prequel, because it's set you know, like half a century earlier, there's going to be quite a different change in scenery. Not only half a century, almost like 
1926 when this happens, really. Okay, so 70 years. <laughs> like, you know, 50, 70 years. Yeah. yeah. I, the one unrealistic thing about this movie, despite, despite all the magic and beasts, is like how clean New York City looks. <laughs> well, it's, <'Cause> it's <laughs> filmed New York City. I know, but it's so, everything is so clean. Like, everything looks like it was just built yesterday. And I'm like, like New York City would be way dirtier than this, even in 1926. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the roads were probably still dirt. Uh, yeah, but there'd just be garbage and filth and just people everywhere. Yeah, that's um, probably true. But it is a very like I think it's a heightened world. It's a very just you know very fictionalized version of New York City in the way they want to do it. Um, but anyways, going back to Kowalski character and just like the the way the difference between having a story involving a nomad versus harry who is just kind of a kid that seems to be in a lot of the early books he doesn't really know what's going on and people have to constantly explain to him what's happening even though he is a wizard that there's something i think better almost about a character like kowalski in the sense that you he's us he's us and it's Whereas, like, I got the sense over and over again in the in the Harry Potter movies was that, like, people would be explaining stuff to Harry being like, you should know this, Harry. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> Almost. Like, I, you idiot. I personally think Kowalski might be the best character in the movie. Yeah. I and think I think he might be my favorite. Yeah. I, I really liked him. And I think that, you know, uh, Dan Fogler does a really good job. I think he, he's a fun actor. I loved him in Balls of Fury. <laughs> yeah. You know? Which is my great a great parody movie about ping pong. And kung fu movies, <laughs> but um, you know, I think and it's got a lot of great good actors in it. I think, you know, Ezra Miller's great as the child who gets murdered at the end of this movie. Spoilers, um, or or doesn't? I know he's in the trailer of the next one, so they kind of already they're kind of ruined that one. Um, I love the whole like um uh, like the super conservative like witch, you know, like the the evil kind of uh you know whatever whatever she's like the adoptist woman that's like running the like conservative like christian conservative like witches are among us we have to destroy them type of thing that was all kind of cool yeah it's like a very strange like foster home yeah and she names all her kids like crazy names like credence modesty and chastity <laughs> yeah she is wild like she that was all super fun. wild um john the yeah well, sorry i need to interrupt we did i ever have you take the Ilvermorny sorting no. test? No. Oh, that is such a shame. Because Ilvermorny is the... American School. American School of Wizarding and Witchcraft, and they have four houses, which are not that unlike the houses of Hogwarts. They are actually somewhat unique. They do have their own interesting traits to them. There are definitely analogs to the two, but they are they do also have their own uh, traits, what they say I about, see. you know... Yeah, there's some, there's some like... I noticed a lot of differences in the um in the in between this and like the Hogwarts kind of method of things and I just love art deco style too. Oh it's like my one God. of my favorite styles and so this movie's just full of it. I love which is it. It's great. Yes. Um like the whole ministry area, it's just like I like it better than the ministry in in England. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Just felt a little bit better. But um what did you feel about or how did you feel about Eddie Redmayne's character, Newt Scamander? I love him. I think he's great. I think he's a lot of fun. Um, I think like the jitteriness, like almost it, all the time, was pretty good. But it took a while for me to kind of warm up to him. 
because okay. he does it's Eddie Renmain. I just his acting style is so strange. Yeah. And he kind of just plays the same character in every movie. But it fits for this. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think having him next to Dan Fogler's like Kowalski character I think helps. Yes. I think they played off each other very well. And so by the time you start to get a little bit more backstory into Scamander's kind of past and, you know, Lenny Kravitz's daughter, you see a picture of her at some point, <laughs> you know, in the in the thing and that all stuff. And you're like, okay, like, well, yeah, she, like was a, I, she was a Lestrange. Yeah, that's that was a one like big Bellatrix from that. Yes. So there's something not bad yeah. with her going on. Well, and Newt Scamander himself, he uh, he is the grandfather. His his grandkid ends up marrying Luna Lovegood. I remember you saying that in yeah. uh, the last episode we talked about. Um, yeah, because I, I I like I like Newt Scamander as a character. I like what he's doing in this movie. He's essentially trying to rescue you know creature magical creatures and release them to their natural habitats. Hells yeah. And there's something very nice about that. I love his briefcase. I love the whole that whole thing. You know, like I gave a lot of shit about the tent, and for some reason this made like much more sense. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why. This is basically the bag of holding that Hermione has. Yeah, or, or the tent they use in the Goblet of Fire. And yeah, stuff. which it's is just... basically the purse that Mary Poppins has. Yeah, I think the but the way they kind of sh- they they introduce this this object, I think is really cool. I think just the fact that like he puts it on the ground, opens it, and just kind of gets inside. <laughs> yeah, like so, it's a cartoon hole. <laughs> there's a lot of really cool creatures in there. You know what my favorite creature in his suitcase is? Um, tell me, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a lame choice because it's probably the premier creature in his suitcase, yeah, and the it's Griffin the one thing? of the yeah, it's called a Thunderbird, oh. and. It's actually the reason he was in America was to return that bird yeah, yeah. to Arizona from where yeah, it's native. to Monument Valley. Basically, that's where he is. <laughs> the Thunderbird is the sigil of the Thunderbird house in Ilvermorny. It's one of the four houses. Oh. So, yeah, I just think it's really cool that they actually use... Because we never see, you know, a Gryffindor. We don't see, like... Yeah, the closest is in Prisoner of Azkaban with... Hagrid showing off the hippogriff. Right. Well, uh, there was there was in uh, the basilisk, I believe, is like the serpent for Slytherin. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just, like you just don't get that many. Surprisingly, actually, you do get a lot of creatures, but not not that many that like. Oh, it's class time here. We're learning about this thing. <laughs> I guess you do get one a movie, but you know, this one you get like a lot <laughs> at once. Yeah, because he's rescuing a ton, but um. I just like how much they. I felt like they expanded the universe. There are a lot of people complaining about how these movies shrink the universe in a similar way that the Star Wars movies sometimes shrink the universe because it's like, oh, everyone somehow knows each other. And that's, I think, a really strong, fair argument you can make. But at the same time, as far as like the magic of the universe and the creatures and the world itself, I feel like they expanded it greatly with this film. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that... Although, yes, they do kind of name drop Dumbledore in this and, you know, name drop some other recognizable names. It's like you never hear the Potters aren't in this. You know, it's not like the Skywalker, like right. lineage is kind of something or um, so they do. It's kind of is separate and they introduce a lot of new different characters. I think I enjoyed both. It was um, Tina, like played by Catherine Waterston, I think was kind of uh 
very interesting. I think who was her roommate? Was it um is it Mary Lou? Her sister? Yeah, her sister was that her sister? Yeah, they're sisters. Uh yeah. And so I enjoyed her power of being able to read minds. Which Queenie. I think was... Queenie Goldstein. There we go. Um that was all fun. I loved Narlac, played by it was voiced by Ron Perlman. He was like the elf gangster. Oh my god. That whole scene was fun. I wanted more. Was of that, he an actually. elf? I thought or... he was a or was he something else? I don't know. He, no, he seemed like he, an elf. Yeah, but the way he used his magic, he was an elf. Yes. Yeah. 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 There, was the, there was also like the house elf, house, house elf bartender at that but scene, But he also too. seemed like he could have been a... Uh, uh, <laughs> the Gringotts guys. Oh, a goblin? Yeah. I couldn't tell if he was an elf or a goblin. Actually, you may be right. He kind of had the black beady eyes and the sharp teeth of a goblin. Whereas, like, I feel like house elves do not have that in this world. Yeah, and it they're just more the... just wrinkly old men. And he seemed greedy. <laughs> but I don't know. That's a great. That's a great question. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. What was the name Narlac. of that character? Narlac. Uh, that scene with Narlac is wild. What What were the standout moments to you? Cause you know what one of the big standout moments to me was the death sentencing of the two main characters. Yeah, that was wild. Right, that was some like Shutter Island bullshit, like shit going on. I feel like that was uh, a a a jab at the Americas because we still have the death sentence and we just fucking like shoot everyone here and like put everyone to death all yeah, the time. Yeah, they put like it was weird that they it was it's like a pit of death, like a liquid death goo thing, and they don't just like push you in. It's like they make you they take your memory and throw it in there so you want to go in. <laughs> Well, that way no one kills you. You you do it to yourself. But in theory, they're killing you. Yeah, but it's like the same idea behind um, a firing squad. You know, in a firing squad, only one person that shot would actually have had like the bullet in their guns. So the yeah, idea is everyone all, would fire, like, but only, but no one knows who the one that actually shot was. Yeah, but all six of them technically partake in the execution. Right. Because one of them actually like, does the killing. There's like a weird about of iffiness so that it's like, well, the state put you to death. No one person put you to death. It's more of like we it would be like we'll leave you in a locked room and not give you anything. Food. We won't give you anything but a, a gun with a single round and you and you'll kill yourself, basically. Yeah, but then, start... but then you can just be like, well, whoever locked them in there is the one that. <laughs> Correct. But they're not you the know... ones that pulled the trigger. Yeah. Well, so. she's the one she's going to go walk into the pit of acid. Yeah, after they forcibly removed a memory from her and made her. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, no due process, basically. Yeah. And I, I guess the one, the biggest disappointment for me in this movie is the is Johnny Depp and the reveal that it was Johnny Depp the whole time. I mean, that's everyone's. Like, when that happened, I don't I, know I if really I made enjoyed... a noise, but I felt an audible, like, yeah, sigh. I really come out enjoyed of my body. Johnny, uh, Colin Farrell's performance, and I liked his character. Yeah, I've always been iffy on him, but I thought he did. I thought he did fine. Yeah, but then when it's revealed that he's really Grindelwald, I'm just like, uh, it just kind of makes a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the it's like the biggest stain on this whole thing, and it's making I think a lot of people really sour on the upcoming sequel, which the trailer just dropped today, and I like I think it looks fucking great. Also, like one thing that it reminded me of, if one running thing that keeps happening a lot in these movies is people impersonating other people or you know like either through polyjuice potion polyjuice. or some other things. and you would think if it's happening in 1926 they would ha- people would be much more wary in 1990s about 
Yeah. Like people impersonating other well, people. Well, I don't even know if that's an impersonation of another person. I think that's like a different kind of magic there. I, I know, but it seems like the idea of magic in general, being able to make you change your identity and impersonate somebody else and like infiltrate high levels of, you know, organizations. If that's been going on since, you know, really the beginning of magic. Right. <laughs> you think they would have defenses against that? Yeah, probably. So, you would think. Um, you would think. I love the one other thing I liked. I think everything with the rhinoceros scene was really fun. Oh, my so God. That was it's fun. so funny. I The first time, I mean, like, I think almost all of the capturing of the beasts is great. I mean, like, if you go through them, right, the yeah. rhino one, what's your favorite part of the rhino one? I think the fact that, like, once, I think the whole sequence of it, of them, like, him being, like, the, the, the part with Eddie Redmayne sort of doing his mating dance is a little weird. Yeah. But um, I think after, like, it starts chasing Dan Fogler and i felt scared for him yeah and i thought it was done really well and like them tripping on the ice and like slipping all around and him having to get back in the suitcase <laughs> was all great and the fact that like they're dealing with like a horny rhinoceros basically is very <laughs> funny <laughs> um yeah that, that was a highlight um i liked I, the the little guy who loves money yeah the little platypus like yeah it's like a platypus porcupine a kid a kid nothing yeah. yeah that thing is so cute and yeah, that whole bank sequence was fun. Uh, yeah, man, that whole and the, I, I mean that that monster is sort of the impetus to the whole story because it's what causes him yep. to get his briefcase switched up. Which I loved his little briefcase and the Muggle like the Nomad switch on it for yeah, Muggle ready. Yeah, and like they just see like some clothes. <laughs> Therese, <laughs> Therese goes, if I was at like a border. If I was a border agent, I opened up someone's briefcase and it was packed that neatly. I'd be like, "This person is like a psycho. They need to be looked." Because <laughs> not only was it packed perfectly neatly, but there were so few items in it, and it, everything was like perfect. Like you took it off of a shelf, like without unwrapping anything, and placed it into the box. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> it's like terrifying. It's like this person is a psycho and shouldn't be let in. <laughs> so you you want to know my big grand conspiracy from this movie as well, a result of this movie? So. The end of the movie is basically there's this big battle between the you know heroes and the um what's the monster called it's the obscurist um, yeah it, uh, an obscurist and you can be an obscural which yeah. this is the and we'll find out it looks like in the next movie but it is long rumored that this is what happened with Dumbledore's sister when she lost control of her magic and accidentally killed her mom. Uh, she was an obscurist. Yeah, that obscurist. she became like an obscuro because she wouldn't use her magic anymore after she got like beat up by a bunch of muggles I see. for it. And so she felt ashamed of her magic. So it's long rumored that this is what happened. But this actual magical thing is new to the world thanks to Fantastic Beasts, which means maybe this is something J.K. Rowling had been planning all along, but there were no hints at an obscuro or anything even existing until this movie. I see. Yeah, so they, you know, um, have this big battle with it. Like, a lot of New York City is sort of wrecked. And so a lot of muggles or not nomadges see this, uh, including, I think, the worst casting, which is, other than Johnny Depp, which is uh, John Voight. Ooh, like, I do not need him in any more movies <laughs> as, like, the, the sort of uh, newspaper magnet. Um, but anyway, so, like, a lot of the nomadges see it. So their big solution is we're going to obliviate the entire city of New York using the Thunderbird. And, yeah, like the rain and stuff. And so my conspiracy is that 
they essentially went too far with their obliviate and the events of this movie caused the great you know depression because like everyone kind of forgets a lot of like even more so the events and just causes a lot of bad shit to happen which ends up causing <laughs> world war Two, which ends up causing the holocaust and all these bad events to happen. oh the great depression doesn't cause world war Two. yeah because it causes a worldwide global meltdown which reignites um you know fascism in europe you know and which leads to the rise of the nazi party which leads to the holocaust <laughs> so it's all connected oh my god and also the fact that like Maybe they for- even forgot, like, why we even went to World War One, and that's, like... <laughs> so, there's, so it's, there, there so it's are Johnny Depp's bar- fault. Yeah, it's Johnny... No, it's 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 all the the magic people's fault for overdoing the Obliviate spell. Like, they think they can control the muggle world so easily. They wouldn't have had to do it if it weren't for Johnny Depp. True, true. That's true, but I'm just saying, they they they, they had to do a mass solution... <laughs> citywide but it may have had some unforeseen consequences that they uh you know couldn't change so that's my that's my conspiracy yeah it um it's interesting there are a lot of great moments in the movie you know one of the standout ones to me was that i really 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 love what's that i love the first time they are at the apartment of the goldsteins and he takes um the trip into the suitcase and yeah, he's showing but... off all the animals and the magical world. And it's, like, so pure and, like, fun. Uh, and also the tiny little um, Groot-like character that he has that he keeps in his pocket. Yeah, that's... I like that. Like, I, I was... We were mentioning that before. I think the whole... That sequence starting from the suitcase into the into him showing the world. And I, I just like how we were so set up that muggles and nomadges... Are, should absolutely not be like should be cut off from this and the fact that like scamander is so i need your help so i'm just gonna you know, yeah like, I know. <laughs> you know these stories like there's a lot of complaints about representation but at least the messages of a lot of these stories has especially this one is also about like animal rights and about like protecting those who aren't protected yeah. uh and also about equality because he's, you know, talking about like it's insane that he, he thinks it's insane that, you know, muggles and magical people can't even be married to each other. Yeah, I think that's especially since it doesn't really matter because it seems like magic people can be born from correct non, non-magical parents anyway. Correct. And it's like illegal. It's not like where it's looked at weirdly in Harry Potter's time by some people. It's illegal during this time. You know? Yeah, which is obviously like a throwback to like you know Civil banning rights. of yeah, and banning of interracial marriage and yeah, that type of thing. So. Yeah, so I I thought that was I I really appreciate the more adult themes of this film. Although a lot of these themes were present in the other ones, they are a little bit more blatant because you have adults talking about them, so they go a little farther into the conversation than I think yeah. the Harry Potter films do. Uh, maybe That's not true. the books as much, but the the films do. The books do actually more especially with like the whole arc it's really like one of the biggest arcs that i think is unfortunate that's cut is the house elf stuff with hermione at some point you should go and read the book um you should get that audiobooks but uh yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else that's really crazy about this film you know i i think it's interesting that grindelwald is searching for this really powerful magician this powerful wizard trying to find him yeah i think Obviously, he has a very. What we're seeing is sort of the pre-Voldemort 
kind of uh, mentality where it's it's he wants to basically conquer the muggle world or the nomad world. Yeah, he was their times Hitler, Grindelwald, in ways that Voldemort was. And so he wants a very powerful sort of being like an obscurist. Yeah, but he's also, I think, not even looking for that. I think he's just looking for the whoever the witch or wizard is that was powerful enough to do that. True, but I I really got the sense at at the end there before it's revealed that it's Grindelwald and that Colin Farrell's doing this kind of speech where he's a kind of you know sort of the gig is up. You know, and he basically, him and Newt are kind of like are on the same side where they both did not want, you know, the Obscurial to die. You know, they both wanted to save it maybe for different purposes. Oh, yeah. No, no, of course. But I don't think that he wanted the kid to be an Obscurial. I think he wanted the kid because the kid is that powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like He didn't, He wasn't out of like, oh, we need to preserve this, yeah. like, this, you know, endangered creature. There's definitely creature. like <laughs> something special about Credence where he, similar to other super powerful wizards like Grindelwald or Dumbledore, he appears to be a very powerful wizard himself. Yeah, agreed. So that'll be fun to look forward to. Uh, is there anything else that you think uh, we need to cover on this film? No, I guess we'll just have to deal with the next movie when it comes out and we'll deal with Johnny Depp as we do. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. I think... Um, uh, because, you know, we didn't do as deep of a dive into this like we do with the Harry Potter ones, but there's no, uh, this is part one of a five-part story, and part two is not even out yet, so for us to really deep dive and talk about what that stuff means, um, you know, I think we're more interested right now in just talking about, like, what we really enjoyed about it, especially because there's kind of, like, other things about it that, like, people are unhappy with it, and I think, uh, to dismiss those arguments entirely would be silly, I think is a damn shame I think it would be important for us to state that it's a damn, damn shame that they got Johnny Depp. Yeah. I mean, great for his agent, but yeah, he got him right at the end. Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> even came out against the hiring of Johnny Depp. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, he's a piece of shit, so they shouldn't have done it. But other than that, I really enjoy the movie. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there is no moral consumption in a capitalist world. So that is true. There you go. It's a good quote John- to end on. <laughs> yeah, John, let's uh let's hear those rankings now that we've if we want to make people mad, now's the time to do it. <laughs> All right. So you and I both separately from the, you know, original Harry Potter saga, uh ranked are from our you know, so I guess we all liked them. I think to a degree. So this is not like least yeah. liked to most liked. That was the interesting thing for me when I sent you my vote. And I think I would actually maybe change something on there. But it's so hard. Yeah. Because I don't actually dislike any of them. Because, okay, so the one that we both ranked, I guess we both had at the bottom of our list was uh, The Chamber of Secrets. Uh, That's my second to last. Was your second to last? Yeah. Oh. Then, yeah. But, it, okay, it was my last. Um, That's right. So it was my last. So, um, but we both had it rank, ranked low. Correct. Um, but Chamber of Secrets, I think for me, it was because it's not a bad movie. And I think it's actually got a lot of good elements to it. It just does feel like a structural and tonal sort of um, redo of the Philosopher's Stone. The right. first movie. Yeah, it, it it is in many ways that some of these movies like feel similar to a prior one. This feels the most like a repeat. And yeah. uh, it also has the worst Dumbledore. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's true. So, 
Um, but I, it's so hard for me to say that. Um, it was also low on me for the amount of Moni Myrtle in it, but yeah, you know. I actually, I gotta be honest. I really think I screwed up my rank. I think I should have spent slightly more time on it, but we'll just stand with it as it is. I think it's fine. I think um, it's, I think it's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, I think so. The first movie I put too low on my list. I wish I had put it higher. To be honest, thank there's God something, I put it higher. there's something so magical about the first Harry Potter and special, especially when they're really little kids, that I enjoy so much. But um, again, it's like okay. So the next one on our list is the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, I guess, whichever we want to call it. Um, yeah, the first Harry Potter. I think it, the the first two because they're directed by Chris Columbus and they're just so I don't know. They're just kind of they're they're fine. They just have this very disjointed kind of pace to them, and um, I know it is the first movie, so that's why I ranked it a little bit higher than this, the second one for me. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's got Wait, the nostalgia. Of the how first one. how why do we have Philosopher's Stone as second to last? Because I reckon second to last, but I ranked it third to last. I know because I didn't remember again. Yeah, uh, should we explain what our ranking, how our rankings work? Yeah, no, because I'm looking at our combined rankings, and I don't think you did this math right, man. No, because what I did was uh-huh. it's where I guess I didn't really do the average per se, but it's when both of us hit. So, you know, it's like, you know, remember we did this for wishboning? Uh huh. So it's like you put six first, but uh, you put Half Blood Prince first, but I didn't say Half Blood Prince until four movies, four ranks later. Okay. So that's where that's when it hit. it comes in third because two other movies are hit twice before that. Sure. I I would say though, so this is interesting because our bottom 3 movies are both the same. That's actually re- uh no, they're not. No, our they're bottom not. F- so your bottom 4. Oh, okay. It's it's If we most did the, if we did the average, if we did the average, <laughs> they would actually be tied. Yes, that's why exactly we can't have even. that. So that's what we're going to do by this system. I see. It's better if we have a third person involved in this, because then it kind of helps Yeah. with the, the averages out more. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine how it is. I think that movie's really special. I should have put it as my number one. <laughs> nah, Goblet of Fire is just way better. Yeah, it really is. Okay, fine. So what's our third from the bottom? Okay, so third from the bottom is going to be The Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, which um, is such a shame, because that might be my favorite book. And it's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's, it's so dark, though, and colorless. Yeah, it's so desaturated. Um, it's got so many good elements, though, in it. But again, yeah, it's it's. Sectosempra. It and also, it just it does feel like the first half of a movie. Yeah. That you're watching, it just kind of ends on a very. You know, and it's so t- it's so hard. I mean, they're all great. Okay, what's the next one? Um. So the next one in our ranking is the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Okay. Okay. Um. Which I think is, I think fine. Right in the middle. You know, here, um, nothing, nothing to say about that. And then before that, after that, is the Deathly Hallows Part One. Yes, um, because you had it ranked a little bit higher, which I felt I like the the conclusion to something as opposed to the setup of something. But yeah, but there's so many moments in that movie that I think are incredible and also so unique because it's the first movie that doesn't take place at Hogwarts, and. True. For that reason, seeing that film, it's like, oh wow, this is really different. This story is is uh, such a departure from everything. Like the 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 safety of Dumbledore and Hogwarts is gone. Like everything's out in the open. Like it's time we're on the run. Yeah, like things are happening now. You know. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, um, 
one thought I want to bring up back in Fantastic Beasts because we brought it up in this discussion with Deathly Hollows Part One. Remember how you brought up the idea? It's like, well, why don't they just apparate anywhere? You know. Yeah. And my uh, theory was that it's kind of like a, a speed travel in a video game. You first have to travel there manually, and then once you do, you travel to a town. Then you can like fast, you know, speed on the map to anywhere you want, kind of like apparating. So Newt Scamander, he didn't really have to take the boat home if he if he really wanted to he could have just apparated back there might be a distance thing involved true we don't know but i'm thinking maybe there's a distance thing involved because it my guess is it might tire you out and you probably don't want to (laughs) like end up in the ocean yeah we'll just apparate with a boat with you and then you don't know like what direction you're going in just go go east or west you'll eventually hit land (laughs) anyways okay so um so yeah, number four was our uh, Deathly Hallows Part One. Number three, coincidentally, lines up with the third Boom. movie, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Boom. Um, I thought great, great movie, great little movie. Direction was fun, writing was fun. I uh, like the story of it. A lot of good things introduced. Um, number two was The Order of the Phoenix. We great both, movie. Both of us had the same top two here, so. Honestly, if it didn't have the worst, like, most annoying character in all the series in it, even though that's also the impetus for what makes the movie so good, it might be my favorite, but we definitely agree on the best. Who's your most annoying character? Sorry. Who do you, who do you hate the most? Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Dolores. Uh-huh. Okay, I, we disagree on that because I, although she is theoretically annoying in the movie, she has a very good purpose, and I think she Oh, no, of course well. she, like... Uh, she 100% does, and she's so good at it, and it's so well-written that it drives me insane. Because okay. I, like, I hate her just as much as they want me to hate her, and it's so much. Yeah, but see, I don't take that, try to take like take that away from the movie at all. I don't know. I, I guess maybe you're not doing that either, but I get the sense you are. I'm not. I'm not. I'm <laughs> okay. not. Because the other, I, I, I just, I agree, our number one movie should be The Goblet of Fire. It's a great fucking movie. It's a good movie. Great structure, great format. Everyone just loves a good like sports movie inside your movie yeah. where it's like you're building up to the final thing. Um, it's shot well. In, shot well, but like especially since it's a, like these movies because they take place mostly at Hogwarts, it makes sense that like there's a competition aspect to these. And this one is the one that really embraces that. And it was sort of the uh, transition point because this is like when the kids are like sort of becoming young adults. And by the end of this movie, they are not kids anymore. Like this is the death yeah. of innocence. There is a Literally death. Voldemort death. Is, <laughs> yep, Voldemort's back. And if you also think about like the sort of picture they're painting where you can't enter the Goblet of Fire unless you're old enough. But Harry gets entered anyway, like younger than he should be, which is sort of his whole story. And now by the end of this, like he's older and he's won it. It's like, guess what? Time for the kids to go away. Like, you guys need to be adults now. Yeah. It's got, you know, Brendan Gleeson. It's got David Tennant, who we never see again for some reason yeah. <laughs> in the movies. I guess he just didn't want to come back. Um, you know, so it's got all, it's got a lot of great characters in it and great moments. And so that's so that's our... Um, so going through our rankings again, we got Chamber of Secrets, The Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Half-Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows Part 2, Deathly Hallows Part 1, Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, and The Goblet of Fire. Boom. That's it. Set in stone. And we will, in, you know, what, 10 years, we'll rank the Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. yeah, they're coming out slower and farther apart than I would have imagined. 
I, I wonder if like the last yeah. couple they'll film closer together. I don't know why these can't be like every year or every other year. It feels like there's a bigger gap in these films than there should be. And you would um, think that with the way that um, you know, Disney initially, you know, was gonna say we're gonna produce a Star Wars movie every year. We're gonna release one every year at least. Um, you think Warner Brothers would be like, yeah, we want to do the same thing, but it seems like they want to just use David Yates to direct all these movies. <laughs> Yo, I'll tell you what, though. That trailer for the new one, I was like, this is a David Yates movie? Yeah. Like, some of those shots looked awesome. I mean, he he's, like, probably... He's a good director. Like, it seems like all the movies, they're not bad as far as from a directing standpoint. So. No, but this seemed almost like a departure for him, some of those shots. And it could have just been the way it was cut, but... yeah. You it, just think like if you you want like if you want to create a wizarding world, it's such like a a massive success financially. You could produce several franchise like sort of different stories going on at once and different movies, yeah. and you can come out with one every year with different directors. But it seems like they're like we're 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 gonna stick with the single thing we're focusing on with this director and you know. Uh, Sam I mean, Clovis the fandoms are already so fickle and like protective with everything that the fact that J.K. is here like writing these stories. Um, is probably the reason why. Because if they can agree to get her to write five more movies for them, it brings then more legitimacy just, to the. Yeah, they're not going to go and pump out a bunch of other shit. If they're pumping out that other shit, she might not <laughs> like give it her seal of approval. You know, I I worry though that kind of ends up being like the George Lucas situation, where you know sometimes. Yeah, but that's already happening now with the fandom. So fuck them. That's what I say. Yeah, like, I'm look, just... if if there's stuff that's bad and you don't like it, that's fine. If other people enjoy it, let them enjoy it. But I think sometimes as a creator of content, if you make a world that it becomes so beloved by, you know, billions of people almost, then it's sometimes you can understand to, like, it goes beyond your reach. That's my point. At some point or another, it's not really theirs anymore. Yeah, I mean, as far as Rowling's. You know? It's still hers because she's still selling the story... That she created, which is why I think it makes sense for this world to be still so connected to the one that we knew, because she's still involved. If they had someone new, I would want them to do something that doesn't really involve anyone we know and in places we haven't been to. That's true. You know what I mean? Because there's, so there's so much you can do with this world. Yeah, correct. And I, by the time this ends, it will probably lead up to Voldemort. So that's true. Like, because imagine like having like an like a wizarding world in like the Wild West. Yeah, like a western that'd be cool. Um, you know, you can do something in the jungles of South America. You got like, <laughs> you know, you got you got you can do like a Chinese one. <laughs> yeah, there's a ton they can do. So, so and hopefully they will at some point or another. Uh, John, when does that next movie come out? Let me look really quick because I have it up here. Because that is when people should expect our next episode of. Harry Potter, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter on Watchworld. Although that doesn't mean we're not going to have new episodes of Watchworld until then. Uh, November 16th. Yes. So it'll probably be that week. I don't know what day it'll be because that's quite a bit of time out from now. Uh, but we will see it within it's probably funny like that the first week. I just week. want to point out the, the release dates of both these movies. They're both you know November 16th, one of 2016, one of 2018. Both after very consequential elections. Oh, wait. Was Fantastic elections. Beast 2016? Yeah. Oh, it was only two years. Gosh, it feels like that was so much longer. Well, okay, never mind. It was only a week it after was, uh, Trump it, won. It was, it was the week after Trump won. No wonder it feels so and, much and longer And then when ago. this is released, it'll be a week after the midterms, and who knows what will happen. Yeah. 
that for that November of 2016 could have been a year long. Oh yeah. I literally like 10 minutes ago in this podcast you can hear me wondering why it, they're not every other year. Apparently they are. I could have sworn this movie came out 5 years ago. <laughs> and I am not joking. Time is going by so fast. Oh, or so, so slow. slow. I don't know. Yeah, so whatever. slow. Fast and slow. I don't know. <sighs> Every day is a month. Wow. But, so in the meantime, before we get to that, we will be switching over to... Oh, speaking of time. Oh, yes. The Time Lord himself. Or herself. herself. Yes. Jodie we... Whittaker will be our new Time Lord and our new series coverage with the beginning of Doctor Who Series 11. Which, like Harry Potter, I have very n- limited knowledge in, and yeah. never have never really watched. So, what's this really though? Is let's say this were a previous Doctor Who, we would not be doing this. Likely, we would have probably picked a different series, um, because it were it it really would have required more uh, foreknowledge for you. Yeah, but the beginning of a Doctor is a great starting point for anyone. But with this, it is an all new writing staff and all new composition staff. Uh, it is a new interior set for the TARDIS. It is a new doctor. It is the first woman doctor. They have a brand new logo. They've been using the same logo since the reboot in 2005. Hmm. So it's like this, they are treating this almost like, although it is a continuation of that story and she is the next doctor in the lineage, they are treating it almost like a very strong refresh. If there has been a great time to jump into Doctor Who, this is the best time. Yeah. This is the best time since 2005, since it first came back. This is the best time to do it again. Okay. So, uh, I actually have uh, the temporary, I have the logo almost ready for that. It looks very nice. Awesome. Can't wait. So, can't wait to go time traveling with the doctor. Oh, you're going to love it. And I think, you know, in a way where we went from a sci fi TV show, John, to a fantasy world, we are now moving into a fantasy science fiction series so with a very devoted fan base <laughs> yes yes but it's a very devoted like british fan base so they're all very polite except for the ones that are angry still that the doctor's a woman and they can go fuck themselves <laughs> <laughs> but other than them john was the potter thing also a br- started as a british fan base or i guess it's always been like a worldwide thing oh uh, yeah i guess they are brits too i just forget because we were talking about fantastic beasts that takes place in new york yeah, but it's it's British. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But this is this is made by the BBC, man. That's true. This is the BBC. Um, I don't know what day of the week this is going to move to because that show comes out on Sundays. So, uh, you know, pay attention. We'll let you know. John, tell them where they can find you. Uh, you can listen to my dulcet tones oh. on the Zeitheist podcast as well as Wishboning as we're... Getting to the final few episodes of that, and uh, yeah, keep listening there, or follow me on Twitter and Instagram for anything Doctor Who related in terms of revelations that I have on Johnny Be Good in LA. And you can follow me at Christian underscore Humes on Twitter or Instagram. We are at Zeitheist. I can't wait to start Doctor Who with you all. I apologize for anyone who is hoping we were going to do The Good Place. That was the original plan. Uh, We'll talk about The Good Place on the Zeitheist podcast, because Emily also watches that show. So expect that if you want to hear about that show as well. But until next time, everybody, let's leave you with a quote, which I did not grab. Mr. Scamanda, do you know anything about the wizarding community in New York? We don't like things loose. (laughs) 